Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. While I just sat on my couch last night, before I slept, to meditate on what is the Lord saying and what should we teach um, this morning, I want to just give you a prophetic posture or position of tithes, first fruits, and offerings. Generally, a prophetic picture of giving, generally, but specifically the first fruit, because that has been our primary topic um, this weekend. And unless you understand the prophetic position or import attendant with an activity in God, sometimes you fail to enact the principle consistently or with a particular mindset being having understanding of its significance. Now, I believe that we must obey God irrespective. And sometimes you don't wait for, for example, full understanding of a thing. If at least in your spirit there has been this enlightenment and sometimes you don't have to wait for the full comprehension in the mind of your soul to enact it. There is that dynamic. But I believe sometimes the fullness of the attendant blessing of any process or act in God will come to you when you obey it. Not just having a resonance of its truth within the realm of your spirit, but also a mental comprehension of it in the realm of your soul. So that the, your two minds agree, the mind of your soul agreeing with the mind of your spirit, for then, for then, when you engage the act, the act is engaged in with so much more understanding of its significance, of what it, of what it means, both to you, to God, and to His vast purposes. Okay? So we know the truth, and the truth will set us free. And sometimes there's failure to engage the act for failure to see its significance. So if you understand the value of the thing, the significance of the thing, obedience is propelled simply because of a prophetic awareness of what the thing means. So by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. For him, it wasn't just a response to a, an external verbal command of God that he heard, because that is what happened, I believe. He heard a command of God to offer first fruits, Otherwise, the Bible says he wouldn't have done it by faith. How does faith come? By hearing. hearing. So scripture must interpret scripture. So if it says by faith he offered to God the firstlings of his flocks, it presupposes he heard something. But faith for Abel was sight into an economy not visible to men. We walk by faith and not by sight. And an essential dynamic of faith is... He sees something. I believe too, when Abraham offered Isaac, doesn't the scriptures call Abraham the father of faith? I believe whether he did it consciously or unconsciously, but his giving up of Isaac was prototypical to one day the giving of this of God by giving his only son on Mount Golgotha. Mount Moriah, where he sacrificed Isaac, equates to Mount Golgotha, where the Lord, where the Lord Jesus Christ would die on the cross of, of Calvary. So in giving up his firstborn, watch, in giving up his firstborn Isaac on the altar, he was setting a prophetic pattern of how even God the Father would one day give his only son as a gift. So sometimes, you see, his giving wasn't just... Uh, significant for its season in the time and space in which he lived. He was setting a prophetic pattern for things to, to come. So sometimes when you don't understand the weight, the significance, and the prophetic significance of what you do in the year and now, particularly in reference to financial offerings, sometimes you wane in terms of the obedience thereof. So it's very important. For example, remember the, the, the widow that, 
that broke the alabaster box of Nod, 11 months wages. What did her offering do? What did Jesus say her offering did? Judas protested. Why this waste? So watch. The mindset with no faith construes the act as waste. Jesus has a different mindset regarding his assessment about that activity. She say, he says, no, she hasn't wasted, but she has prepared my body for burial. She's literally, her act has great significance in what it represents in the realm of the spirit in terms of fast-tracking God's purposes. Now, we are preparing to sow. I was just rushed this morning. It's the first of October today, not so? And so in the rush yesterday, and I was tired to, to work out our total income for the church for last month because we want to offer a tithe of tithes to our spiritual father. And normally I do that first thing the next morning. I'm so urgent about it, okay? And so I printed the statement this morning just before I came here. First thing I need to do when I get home is assess that, calculate it, and give our corporate tithe and offering as an offering. Now, when I do that, I'm not doing that routinely. I'm not just doing it because it's what we do every month. I'm not doing it because it's a cold clinical thing that we engage in all the time. No, I pause. I told you I always do this. I pause. In my spirit, there's a, there's, there's a sense of God. This means something. It's our expression of honor to our spiritual father. But this has weight. This has significance. This is building something into the corporate, your corporate plan and purpose for Gate Ministries, Durban Central. Come on, do you believe that? Okay. So I want to encourage you every time from now on you give, whether you're doing EFT or whether you're coming to the front to drop something in the basket, have a momentary pause. Have a sober moment. Don't just do it because it's the expected thing to do. Pause and reflect. Say, God, I'm doing this by faith. I might not fully understand its significance. But all I know, this has tremendous significance. And what I do is going to build into the overarching scheme of your vast purposes, not just for my life personally, but for the church community of which I'm a member, a family. Amen? Member of the family. And so offerings have specific weight and purpose. So I want to speak to, just there was an introduction, I want to speak to, the prophetic position of first fruits, tithes, and offerings. Because if we truly understand this, it prompts our obedience in the same. Amen? It prompts our obedience in the same. Now, a first example, let me just perhaps read Isaiah 60 before we start from verse 1. Because yesterday, I alluded to Ecclesiastes 11, perhaps which we'll look at if we have time. And I said to you that global economic disaster is going to attend the earth in the coming months and years. It's inevitable, and we're not just saying this to discourage you, we're actually saying this to encourage you. I'm saying because it is God's program, it is God's ordering, it is part and parcel of how things will unpack themselves as the age closes. God will deal judgmentally with economic systems and financial systems in the earth. In those times of crisis, your heart must not be discouraged. The Son of God, particularly in the day in which we live, must understand the nature of crisis. Crisis is inevitable. And crisis is what we must walk through to come into maturity. Okay? The exodus of Israel from Egypt was not a walk in the park. There was great calamity attendant with the entire event. But through it all, God extracted His Son from out of Egypt. So God will, Egypt represents the systems of this world with which God will deal judgmentally because he wants to extract firstborn sonship, mature sonship within the body of Christ. So when these things I want to happen, I want to encourage you, brethren, to not let your heart fail. It is, it is depressing sometimes, of recent times. Isn't it, wasn't it depressing? Every time I watch CNN, there was some climatological catastrophe Somewhere in the earth, not so? It was, it was almost weekly. There was Harvey. Then there was Irma. Then Maria came. Right? Now they're giving hurricanes male names. Before it was just females. Now they're balancing this thing. 
I think the feminist movement kicks up a big storm. Why are these hurricanes only named females? Now we got Harvey. <laughs> it's not just climatological. There's even geomorphological, earthquakes, volcanoes, sudden increase. And according to the text in Matthew, rumors of war and wars. Rumors of war, stirrings. The crisis between America and North Korea is now hotting up. Right? We could have a third world war looming on our hands. We never know what's going to happen. But there's also going to be economic crisis. But please, I want to encourage you, when you put your TV on or read your newspaper, do not let your heart be discouraged. It's inevitable. Tell someone these things are inevitable. And biblically speaking, crisis, global crisis, is a significant part of God's last day agenda to, for His church to come into maturity. It's part of the process. Maybe we need to do a series about that for your understanding. Jesus even said, do not let your heart be troubled. Right? Do not let your heart be troubled. And the Bible says men's hearts are going to faint for unbelief. Right? In those seasons, we are, we're going to be strong. We're going to be faithful. We're going to be focused because our God will always take care of us. Okay? There's sufficient biblical proof for this. One such text is Isaiah 60, which says the following. Arise, shine, for your light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Then it says this, for behold, darkness will cover the earth. And his darkness are covering the earth. Right? There's, there's like a span of darkness around the earth. And then it says, deep darkness, the peoples. Two levels of darkness. Darkness on the earth, but on the peoples, deep darkness. Okay? Um, and darkness is a time of uncertainty. If you're in the dark, you don't know. There's no light. You cannot see. Darkness is also equated to ignorance, uncertainty, dark times, dark times, literally dark times, right? But, everyone say but. The, the, the use of but in any sentence or framing or paragraph sets aside the power of the previous statement, right? That's why couples should never apologize to each other when you have conflict in your marriage and the husband says, honey, I'm sorry, but the but cancels the truth or the force of what has just been said, right? So I am what I am. What did Paul say? I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, but I am what I am. Cancel the force of the prior statement. Similarly here, don't be depressed by darkness and deep darkness on peoples because the text says, but, but the Lord will rise on you. In the midst of global darkness, God is rising on you. God will rise on you, on, your, on His people, and the glory of the Lord will appear upon you. Verse 3. Nations will come to your light. Watch. You see, darkness is the most ideal context for light to be exposed. And are we not the light? According to Jesus, who is the light of the world, text also says we are the light of the world as it is so are we in this world and light is most notable when darkness increases and light by nature dispels darkness you see the nations will come to the church in the midst of crisis as crisis escalates right and it's going to escalate even economically nations will come to your light and even kings to the brightness of your rising in fact Within the context of darkness is the most opportune time for light to arise. Our best days as the church is going to be within the context of global economic disaster. I believe that with all of my heart. It's going to be a season when God's purposes are going to ramp up. God's going to rev up the rate at which He does things. So do not be discouraged. It's not an antagonistic prohibition or challenge to God's purposes. Crisis is not a challenge to God's purposes. Crisis is the means in and through which God's purposes find their most fullest expression. Got to have this mentality. Got to understand this. You can apply this corporately, globally, or even privately and domestically. If you're having a personal crisis in your personal family, in your private life, it's, the, some, it, it's usually the best context for grace, grace to thrive and to ensure God's purposes are done in your life. Amen? 
Hallelujah. So, and the next verse is, Lift up your eyes round about and see. Tell someone, lift up your eyes. They all gather and they come to you. Your sons will come from afar and your daughters will be carried in arms. Verse 5. And then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because of the abundance of the sea that will be turned to you. And wealth of nations will, will come to you. God speaks about turning the tide of economics within the time of darkness globally, right? And God's going to turn uh, abundance to the church, not to the church account, to the sons of God in the earth. You are the church wherever you are, okay? You're going to see this happen. And it says in verse 6, the, uh, verse 5, the wealth of nations will come to you, multitude of camels will cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah and those of, from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and they will bear good news of the praises of the lord all the flocks of kedar will be gathered together to you the rams of nebioth will minister to you they will go up and with acceptance on my altar and i shall glorify my glorious house notice the house of god will be glorified as a glorious house when darkness covers the earth right there are two bilateral processes happening simultaneously. Darkness growing and deep darkness on people, but in the house of God, an increasing light, an increasing light. Global economic disaster on the one hand, and the blessing of abundance and wealth coming to sons of God on the, on the other. Egypt gave Israel, when Israel exited Egypt after 430 years, literally beckoned them. God said to the Israelites, you go to every Egyptian house and you request gold before you leave. So the, the crisis, so to speak, upon the exit, they exited with an abundance. Right? Israel wasn't poor when they left Egypt. Why do you think the Pharaoh pursued them? He wanted all the money back. <laughs> look, go read it. I'm not lying. Read. Some of you look at me like it's the first time you're hearing this. Read the Bible. I'm not making this up. It, was, it happened. They left wealthy. They left with gold, silver, all kinds of artifacts and ornaments. They impoverished Egypt in one day. Militarily and economically. Politically, militarily, economically, Egypt went from superpower to nothing. At the exodus, the pulling out of God's people from a global crisis condition. Amen? It was a prophetic picture for what's going to happen in the... In the last day. But you've got to prepare for that. Tell someone prepare for that. Immunization, preservation, protection within this culture is prepared for now. Do you remember Noah? What does it say about Noah? I have some in my notes here. The Bible says that Noah was a righteous man. Just put Genesis 6. Let's read from verse 1. Okay. I just feel the Lord saying we must go here. It came about when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the sons of daughters were beautiful and took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. The Lord said, My spirit will not always strive with man forever because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were also in those days. And afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they brought children to them. Those were mighty men who were of old men of renown. Watch. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and every intent and thought of his heart was evil, not sometimes, evil perpetually, calculatedly, evil perpetually, consistently. Verse 6, the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. Verse 7, the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, creeping things, and to birds of the sky. I am sorry that I have made them. But, everyone say but. Cancelled the force of the prior statement. But Noah, here's a man who stands singularly against the tide of global wickedness. Every man was evil, not some. Imagine living in a world where all men are evil. That's bad enough, right? But they don't even have respite or time out from evilness. It says they're evil continually, right? Perpetually, okay? And it says Noah stands in stark contrast 
against the prevailing tide of growing darkness and evil in his days. Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yes, God about to say, move his hand. I'm going to wipe every man off the face of the planet. And he's about, oh, there's one guy here that just stopped my hand. His state of righteousness has prevented me from wiping all humans out. Right? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. These are the records of the generation of Noah. Now, when it says this, these are the records of generations, you, you expect to read his lineage. Not so? But you, you read his character. Right? You read his character. And the character of the man is righteous. Everyone say righteous. I'm thoroughly blessed by Pastor Thamo's series right now. For those of you who listen, we've got two segments covered already. Two sessions. Please track it. And Noah was righteous man, blameless in his time. And Noah walked with? Noah walked with God. You can unpack each of those statements. It's a very powerful series um, in, in its own. Now, watch. I said to you that sometimes, not sometimes, I said to you, that when we give to the Lord, it testifies of our righteousness. As God testified of the righteousness of Abel when he offered his first fruit to God. Hebrews 11 verse 4. Okay. So in Noah's day, watch, the Lord instructed him to build an, an ark. And he built it for a hundred years, not so. He labored and he preached every day to men, but men refused to repent. God instructed him to build a box. Everyone said it was a box. Right? A box that could float. 300. What were the dimensions? 300 by 30 by 50. Three stories. Each of the numbers are very significant. 300 oneness. 30 maturity. 50 Pentecost. Or the spirit. Jubilee. Okay. And he built something unheard of in his day. Because no rain fell on the earth at that time. Not so? Rain did not fall on the earth at that time. So if you came to Noah and you says, what are you doing? Uh, you might respond, the Lord God said I must build a boat or a box that could float. Float? What's that? You must remember no concept of uh, floating, rain, nothing. Float? What's that? Uh, oh, it's going to rain one day and everything you see here will be covered with water. And this article is going to float on top of the water. Rain? What's rain? Remember, it never rained on the earth before. So he was talking a language that did not make sense to the people of his day. Why? It says, by faith, Noah. It says, by faith, Noah built an ark to the saving of his house, in the which he condemned the world. In other words, what he built condemned the world. Yes, it. By faith, Noah, being warned of God, of what? Of things not yet? Seen. Now, some of you are looking at me and say, Randolph, you're talking about all this global economic disaster. For me, it's things not yet seen. But let me just say, what you do now is going to preserve you later. Even for things not yet seen. Very important to understand this, right? What you do now will preserve you later, even for things not yet seen. So everyone say with me, by faith. When I do the transfer today, this afternoon, I am doing it by faith. My mentality is God. I am putting up structures. I'm building an ark that perhaps most people do not understand in my present day. But I'm preparing for my future preservation. Amen? By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, in reverence, King James says he feared God, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his Household in the which he condemned the world. Watch. Noah did not condemn the world. What he built condemned the world. Huh? By what he structured, he brought judgment to the earth. Right? And he became the heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. And there's a whole lesson in that. I don't want to get into that right now. But let me just say this. I really want to, I want to encourage you, next time you administrate a first fruit, a tithe, or an offering, whenever you give, whatever expression of giving, tell your husband, tell your spouse, or your wife, your kids, say, we're building an ark. We're constructing something 
And the world might say to you, oh, but why are you doing this? Verse through tithes and offerings. They don't understand the language as Noah's day. The people did not understand the concept of rain. To the man of faith, his actions don't make sense to the man without faith. Right? Because Noah had sight. It says, how did he do it? By faith. He saw something. And modern day apostles and prophets are seeing something about future global economic disaster. And all I'm saying to you, our financial conference and its teachings this weekend were highly significant and prophetic in nature. In that, listen carefully, I say this to you as a prophecy, God will preserve you. God will keep you as he kept Elijah in a famine that Elijah prophesied for three and a half years, but he was pre-preserved. God will definitely keep you. Amen. So tell your neighbor, be kept. Tell your neighbor, build your ark. Amen. It is interesting that in Genesis 7 verse 11, it says that God opens the windows of, of, of heavens and the fountains, etc. In the 600th year of Noah's life, okay, these guys live a long time, right? The second month, the 17th day of the month. And remember when I did the, the lesson at the beginning of the year, I referenced this. Right? That the flood started on the 17th day of a particular month and ended on the 17th day of a particular month. Okay, so the number 17 is very significant. And the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the skies were open. Everyone say, God opened the heavens. Look at Malachi 3.10. Only other time when heavens are open is when tides are administrated. We link the two concepts. God says, bring the whole tithe into the stores that there might be food in my house. Test me in this. If I will not for you, open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing such that you will not have room enough to receive it, etc. Okay? So I really believe there's a correlation um, between these two. Matthew 24 verse 37 says, but as it was, but as the days of Noah were, so shall the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. Do you know before the Lord's second coming, which we anticipate, before the Lord's second coming, His physical, literal return to the earth, what was true in Noah's day would be true of our day, according to this text. It says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the time of the coming of the Son of Man. Okay, and what were they doing? Verse 38, it says they were, they, before the flood, they were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the flood. In other words, everybody was so preoccupied with their own personal selfish agenda, with no concern for God's principles, God's ways, or God's expectation. It was all inward self-indulgent. And I want to encourage you. I say to you, giving breaks the culture of a focus on self. Every time you give, it's like you're focusing on the Lord and not on yourself. Okay? So uh, just bump your neighbor and say, be a knower in the spirit. I think early in 2018, we need to revisit Noah technology. I did a series way back. How many can remember that? Way back, we did a whole series of, of messages. It was called Noah technology. Because what was true in his day will be true of our day. As he positioned himself in his day, so ought we to position ourselves in, in our day. I believe simply for the correlation that he built an ark that did not make sense. But what he built now saved him later. Similarly, I believe when we are faithful in tithes, first fruits, and offerings, that not too many people might understand you and your, your, the esteem you give to these things. But what you do now will save you later. I really believe that. Right? Ecclesiastes, remember we read this portion in Ecclesiastes 11, where it says, Give a portion to seven and to, and to eight, for you know not what misfortune will come upon thee, Upon the earth, I'm trying to find this text in my notes. Is it on the board? Ecclesiastes 11. Okay, for you know not what misfortune will come upon the earth. Cast your bread upon the surface of the waters. After many days you will find it. Verse 2, give or divide a portion to seven and to eight. You do not know what misfortune will come upon the earth. The word divide here is give. Okay, go back. The word divide there in the New King James is give. Okay, divide, it says give to seven, give to eight, and the motivation for giving 
is couched in terms of you don't know what's coming upon the earth. So if you don't understand the prophetic nature of your giving in reference to future calamitous times in the earth, right? It, it, you will fail to be consistently obedient now, okay? So we're giving to God as part of an overall process in God by which He will immunize, protect, and preserve His children in the last day. Amen. Now, just quickly, one or two more. Time is against me, as it usually is. Okay. A few examples of how giving protects people. Take the reference down. We won't refer to it. But in Genesis 31, from verse 1 to 13. And also take the reference down in Genesis 28. In Genesis 28. Okay. In Genesis 28, Jacob vowed to tithe to the Lord. Not so. He said, whatever you give me, surely I will give a tenth to the Lord. He's on the run away from his brother Esau wants to kill him because he defrauded him out of the birthright. 20 years, he lives with Uncle Laban. Not so. He lives with Uncle Laban. He acquires two wives, Rachel and Leah. And then he returns back to Bethel from which he fled 20 years before back to his father's house. In the 20 years in which he was with Laban, the Bible says clearly Laban attempted to defraud him I think it's 10 times. He changed his wages 10 times. But the Lord blessed and protected Jacob irrespective. So there was the attempts of an uncle to defraud the nephew. But the Lord's protection was on, on Jacob consistently. In fact, I wish we had time to read the text. I just want to go into something else. Um, I'm making the point though. Listen carefully. He said in his own words, when I left Bethel and came here to Aran, to Lebanese, when I left, I just left with one staff in my hand. All I had was a stick, and I left. But when I left in Genesis 28, he says, I made a vow to, to tithe. Of all that you give me, surely I will give 10% to you. And then God protects him all the while, and God blesses him. Even Laban says, I know that I am blessed because of, of you, the favor of God upon your life, the blessing of God. And then he, when he came, comes back, he says, I think to his brother Esau upon the reconciliation, he says, I left here with one stick in my hand, but see how I've come back. I've come back almost with two armies, two bands, two large groups of people from two wives. Okay. You see, he didn't count the numbers. He saw the nation. But what was all that built upon? It was built upon a sincere vow to tithe. He vowed to tithe of all in Genesis 28, of all that you give me. And God protected him, God preserved him, and God sustained him. Okay? You might have in your hand just one staff right now. But let me tell you, if you prove faithful with giving, over time you will see, you will come back with two bands. Right? You will be full. God is very faithful to keep you. Listen carefully. And I want to pray for us in a moment. In fact, lift your hands. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. I pray the Lord will protect you, preserve you from any Labinic or Laban attempt to defraud you. Any world attempt to rob you or to detract away from the inheritance that God has earmarked for you. I declare in the Spirit it will not succeed because your heart is after God and you put him first financially, I declare the immunization, I declare the preservation, I declare an end to the robbery that has been your experience, and I declare it will be restored sevenfold in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Tell someone, receive it. Receive it. Amen. Receive it. Yesterday we looked at a second example, the widow of Zarephath, how that uh, God told her to Give a first cake to Elijah. But when he came, she feared. He picked it up. When he said to her, uh, she said, I only have a little cake, little flour. We're going to make uh, uh, some bread or cake. We're going to eat and then we're going to die. Remember? We're going to eat, then we die. His response is, do not fear. Sometimes words give vent to fear. Words give evidence that we are financially in fear. And Financial fear will paralyze financial faith. 
you, you can't have fear and faith living in the same house. I, I want to encourage you, do not fear financially going forward. Do not be anxious about your financial future. Tell someone, do not fear. I need to say this emphatically. Do not, no matter where you are presently financially, I say to this house, because this house is going to be strong financially. And we have to be robust in our faith. Amen. Do not fear your financial future. That spirit is not of God. It's of the enemy. I come as an Elijah to you and I say, to you do not fear. But he said to the woman, make a cake for me first. He used the word first. Prioritize. Honor the Lord in me, which she did. And uh, the flour did not stop, nor did the oil. For the next three and a half years, what is that? Say preservation. So watch, if she did not understand the significance of her offering, that what she does now in giving is going to preserve her for three and a half years in a time of global economic famine, right? She would have perhaps not obeyed and suffered the ravaging effects of that famine. Amen? Come on, tell someone, it protects us. The tithe protects you. The first fruit protects you. Your offerings protects you. God even said, when he said in Malachi, if you honor me with your tithe, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. For your sake, I will engage personally for your protection and I will protect you. Amen? Hallelujah. Come on, you need to get excited. Yeah? <laughs> Another example would be the Shunammite woman. You've got the widow of Zarephath under Elisha's reign. Now, who's Eli Elijah? Sorry. Who's Elijah's son in the Lord? Come on. Elisha. Did not a double portion of Elijah's spirit rest upon Elijah? Did not Eli Elisha, sorry, did not Elisha do twice the amount of miracles that Elijah did? What was the predominant spirit that rested upon Elijah? It was a fathering grace. So Elisha had double portioned the fathering grace that Elijah had. Okay, Elijah, for example, just had a company of prophets as did Samuel. Whenever it references prophets in reference to Elisha, it always says sons of the prophets. Because the father in this position um, came up in him very, 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 very strongly. Okay? So, um, but you can't just have double the good things that your father had. <laughs> he also said you had to go through some of the twice as severe, some of the negative things Elijah had to go through. For example, Elijah went through a three-and-a-half-year famine at the account of the, the widow of Zarephath. Elisha went through a seven-year famine. You got three-and-a-half plus times two, seven. Okay, Everything is double in Elisha's world, right? He's going to go through a seven-year famine. And it's amazing, just as a woman was used to sustain Elijah, a woman, the Shunammite, which means what? By the way... Double rest. So the widow of Zarephath had rest. The Shunammite woman had double rest because double the spirit of Elijah rested upon Elisha. It's not just double miracles, not just double famine, it's also double rest. It's almost like when famine doubles, rest doubles. Amen? Tell, just, tell someone double for your trouble. <laughs> Come on, double for your trouble. Huh? Let me just say this. Grace works best within the context of human weakness. Grace works best within the context of intensified human suffering. When your suffering escalates, grace potential has the power to enhance like, it, like at, at, the, at the highest levels that you didn't even know it were possible to attain. But God has to submit you through suffering to get you to that grace level. Now, seven years, but, and was this widow, was this woman preserved? Yeah, she was preserved. Why was she preserved? Because while she had the opportunity, she built an upper room for Elisha, put a bed there, put a table, a candle. Because every time he came into the city, she, she said to him, every time you're here, you can lodge here. The Bible says, and she saw a man of God coming frequently into a city. Everyone say she saw. In other words, she had a perception of his representation. For her, it wasn't an ordinary human being coming. This was God entering. He 
he, he represented God. You see, and she uses the term man of God. The man is of God. She's not seeing man. She's seeing of God. Okay? Unless you see your man of God, not just as a man of God, but as a man of God, you will never see the God in the man. She saw something different. And she, you know what I like? This girl didn't give an offering. She brought structural readjustment to our house. She put out the architectural plans. She built an upper room. The Bible says constructed. That means permanent alteration to my dwelling. That's not fleeting honor. What she's really communicating to us is I alter my world. I alter my home. I alter my internal mindset. I give everyone in this home a signal that this man of God has supreme place. He is an upper room, not a basement. She did not build a basement. She built a loft. Put the man of God above her because grace flows gravitationally downward. The esteem that you give in the mind will determine the flow of grace gravitationally down toward you. And guess what? The famine hits. By the way, did you know that she was the very first one in all of Israel, to be informed that there will be a seven-year famine. And who, does, who informs? Elisha calls and says, by the way, you, I know you've got a big farm here. Just know that economic disaster for the next seven years. Your business is about to shut down. But he advised her what to do. Go to a certain place and there live and wait. He advised her what to do. And she was sustained during the seven-year famine. Not so? Right? In that period, Gehazi malfunctions. Gehazi was Elisha's servant, poised for fourfold. If Elisha got twofold of Elijah, Elijah, Elisha, yes, Gehazi, position for uh, generational blessing, flow from the prophet, but greed. Everyone say greed. Greed and covetousness overtakes his spirit, and he misrepresents his father in fraudulently seeking to extract money from Naaman. Remember? And the, 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 the judgment on him was, may the, the leprosy of Naaman cling to you now. And leprosy is ostracization. No more will you play a central role to God's purposes. Because the lepers had their own leper colonies, right? And they were not part of normal life, normal society. So for me, the, the, the judgment of leprosy was very severe. Symbolically, what Elijah, Elisha is saying to Gehazi is, no more will you play a central role in stewarding the unfolding nature of God's purposes for Israel. You are positioned for it, but your greed financially, your covetousness, your pursuit of the filthy lucre, and your misrepresentation of me. What was the main sin of Gehazi besides his greed? He misrepresented his father. He knew his father's position on a particular matter, but he went to misrepresent it, and he was disqualified. Yeah? Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, the things you've heard and seen. Everyone say seen. You've, you're not what you've heard, but you've seen me model myself in various contexts. He says, the same you must teach to faithful men. Okay? I want to encourage the church. You need to see and hear and model your spiritual father in all that he stands for. Follow me, Paul said, as I follow Christ. Gehazi failed. So, the seven-year famine goes. He's still alive, fortunately for him, the grace of God, <laughs> after the seven-year famine. So, this Shunammite comes back to Israel. The famine is abated. She comes back, and she wants to make representation to the king. Because now she's even lost her land to others. And as she comes in, who is talking to the king at that point in time? Gehazi. I don't know how he got there. This guy can push his way into any. Right? <laughs> and he's talking to the king. At the time she makes representation to the king, the king is asking her a question. Tell me about this guy called Elisha. Tell me about him. It's amazing coincidence. Coincidences. Now, there's no happenstance in God. God orchestrates even the timing of all things. Gehazi says, oh, 
of all the things he could have referenced, he says, oh, this guy Elisha, he used to pour water on Elijah's hands. And he, 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 he denotes the, the, the narrative about this woman. And she happens to walk in. And she requests a land back. The king not only gives her a land back, he says to her, all the produce and the harvests that you would have gotten from your field for the seven-year famine, I give back to you. I give to you. Little did she know, watch, her act of honoring the man of God in one season. Somehow, tell you never somehow. God wings and works this thing in, orchestrates events, circumstances to grant a favor seven years later. Some of you are going to come into great breakthroughs for acts you've done seven years before. God never forgets. Yeah? Tell someone God has not forgotten what you've done. God has not forgotten your gestures of honor. Yeah? So she was not just preserved in famine. She never suffered economic loss because of the famine. Right? But she was preserved all the while. She was preserved all the while. Amen? Look at the wise men. Did not the wise men give gold, frankincense, and gifts to Jesus? Not so. And what did God say to them? Do not go back, go back the way you, you came, but go another route, for Herod seeks you to destroy you. Again, the correlation, honoring the Christ with gifts and the protection of the Lord upon them in a time when their lives are sought. Right? Giving is a powerful economy for immunization. And for protection against the schemes of the devil. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. There's something about sincere, sacrificial giving that comes up before the Lord that moves his heart to protect the Son of God. Tell your neighbor your giving has got weight. Tell someone your giving has got prophetic significance. Yeah? Some of you have invested for your future protection already. I want to declare that to you. You have invested well enough for God to protect you. Just be consistently obedient in the same and see what God does in and through this. Look at Onesophorus, 2 Timothy. Let's read this. 2 Timothy 1 verse 16. Onesophorus was a co-laborer, I think a spiritual son, to the apostle Paul. May the Lord grant to the house of on a sophorus, for he often did what to me? He often, he refreshed me. The Greek word for refreshed here literally implies taking a cold shower. Right? When, when Paul encountered on a sophorus, Paul says, yes, my shower coming. I'm hot. I'm full of heat through the rigors of ministry, the trials of life. But when I come into contact with this brother, it's like taking a fresh, cool shower and I'm ready for the next phase of my journey. Amen. Tell someone, become a cool shower to somebody else. Amen. Become a source of refreshment. Don't become a source of vexation. Because when people see you, they must leave refreshed. They must leave pepped up, enthused, not downtrodden. Yeah? Hallelujah. If anybody wants a shower, come to my house. I'll refresh you in the name of the Lord. Amen. I used to enjoy uh, visiting Sister Bok. Remember Sister Bok? From the Assemblies of God Church, those of you, uh, she was a walking Bible. Old lady in our congregation. Every time she'd testify, she'd come, testify, we used to have testimony time those days. She'd take the mic, greetings in the name of Jesus. Old lady, hardly walk, greetings in Jesus' name. Revelation chapter 21 verse, no verse, the whole chapter. And she starts to quote the scripture. 80 some odd, going to 90, I think she died in the late 90s, and still quoting the, the, the Bible with the sharpest of minds. She was my inspiration. I remember growing up as a young man. She was my inspiration to memorize scripture. I said, why, if Sister Bok can do this? Such an old lady. I remember I learned the whole of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 the next week. I said, I'm going to let an old auntie beat me. Wow, I can also put the word of God in my mind and I memorize the whole chapter. That Friday in youth, when we had to have scripture quoting time in Darby Samuels, we went and I stood up. So I got a scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Boom, the whole chapter, right to the end. 
Okay? I want to encourage you. It is, it is very, very possible. Whenever she stood up, she would actually shower the congregation. People felt built up with the power of the word of God that flowed from her. Onesophorus, watch. He often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. In other words, the degree of my sufferings. Paul had a unique experience in his apostolic ministry. It was this. Whenever he suffered, people disassociated themselves from him. Whenever he was discredited, at one point, you know what he said? Everybody in Asia has left me. It's all in Asia. Demas deserted me, having loved this present world. He says, only Luke, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, and wrote the gospel of Luke. He says, only Luke is with me. He writes to Timothy, his son. He says, he even said to his son, Timothy, you do not be ashamed of my chains. Only Luke is with me. Everyone in Asia has deserted me. They say Paul died a lonely man. At the height of his sufferings, people left him. Okay? You must learn to stay the course with your leader, even when your leader goes through some of the greatest tests of his personal life or personal ministry. Okay? It's then when true sonship, by the way, he's tested. Okay? And you know what? In the midst of his chains, this guy refreshes him. Honor is most tested when your leader is most challenged. Honor of a father to a son. In the greatest trials of your father's life and ministry, will you then still honor and be a source of encouragement? Tell your neighbor, be an honest sufferer in the spirit. Oh, by the way, do you know what the guy's name means? Interesting. The word onesophorus means a prophet bringer or he who brings the advantage. How is that? Powerful meaning, eh? A prophet bringer or he who brings the advantage. I have determined to my spiritual father, I want to be an onesophorus in the spirit. When he sees me, he must see prophet coming in. He must see advantage. He must see a cold shower coming in to refresh. Hallelujah. Amen. That's a wonderful. And look at Paul. When Paul thinks about this guy, he's writing to his famous son. He's writing to Timothy, his like-minded son. He's writing to Timothy, his beloved son, he calls him. Timothy has a special place in Paul's heart. He says, Timothy, this guy, Onesophorus. Wow. And look what, what, what Paul blesses him with. Verse 17. When he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me. And he found me. They say the prison in Rome where Paul was kept, was a Roman dungeon. Few meters under the ground, deep, deep, damp, and dark. The three Ds of Paul's Roman imprisonment. Deep, damp, dark, and cold. He even said to Timothy, when you come, please bring my, my coat that I left with Troas, at Troas at Carpus. I need that coat. It's cold in here, Timothy. Right? And he appeals. But when Paul was in Rome, when everybody is deserting him, somebody is searching him out. I need to bless my grace carrier. I need to honor my spiritual father. Onesophorus went through great personal sacrifice to honor Paul. Look what he says. Next, next verse. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services, even at Ephesus, this guy rendered to me. You know very well what services he rendered to me. There's something. Do not think that honor to a spiritual leader does not have spiritual consequences. It does. There's ample proof in the scripture. Amen? Now, I believe we as a congregation must be the greatest blessing to our patriarchal spiritual father. Yes? Come on. Are you with me? Amen? And I, I pray our house will be an honor sufferers in the spirit. Amen? Because... It says we're going to find mercy in the day of judgment. If you go back to verse 17, verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesophorus. Not to Onesophorus. To what? They will say the house. What the man did privately, he was a leader of a congregation. The word here is oikos means he was a leader of a household. It's not his domestic dwelling. It's the church that he led. What he did privately brought a blessing upon his whole congregation. Amen. And I submit to you, sometimes we don't understand that the congregation is blessed because of some of the things we do privately and personally. 
But you can apply this too to your own domestic dwelling. Amen? I submit to you, your, your children will be blessed because of your actions. Amen? And may you be a prophet bringer. Everyone say a prophet bringer. May you too be a prophet bringer in the name of the Lord. There's so many other points here, but I shouldn't have raised it. Let me just make a few statements, then close. I want to be true to my promise. Okay. Which two scriptures in the Bible speak most elaborately about giving in the New Testament? Which two passages, which two chapters in the New Testament speak extensively about financial giving? Come on, you know. Come on. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. How does 2 Corinthians chapter 10 open? Good. After Paul talking about finances, finances, I, my Paul, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, where meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent. I ask that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destructions of fortresses. We are destroying speculations, every lofty thing, Raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Notice, after discussing lengthy passages of giving and how it must be administrated, he switches into, it almost like switches gear now, to his apostolic authority in spiritual warfare. Right? I believe the two concepts are linked. Faithfulness in financial stewardship will set you up for great expressions of spiritual authority in the realm of spiritual warfare. You know what sometimes the enemy's hold against you is? You want to challenge me in terms of authority in the realm of spirit, but you're unfaithful with your finance in honoring God, first fruits, tithes, and, and offerings. doesn't work, right? Because by doing that, you give tacit Evidence to the domination of mammon in your life, which is a spiritual host. The authority of mammon in your life is demonstrated by a withholding spirit. So you're empowering one spirit and you're trying to oppose and attack the spirit on another level in another context. It does not work. These two things are, are, are joined or they, the, one leads into, the one leads into the other. Okay, because of time, I'm going to have to stop. It's now exactly... Half past ten, and I said I want to stop at half past ten. But are you getting the picture? The offering is not just an innocent act, unique and attendant to issues simply around the offering. It has bearing on a whole host of other issues. So stand with me, let's pray. Come on, lift your hands to the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, like Noah, we build an ark by our giving. Like on a sophorus, we search out eagerly to honor those whom you've set over us. And we know that we will find mercy in the day of the Lord. Like the Shunammite woman, we build a loft to honor those whom you've placed over us. I declare we will be preserved in times of famine. Even when the perfect seven-year famine comes, God, we will not lose. You will ensure that we not just sustain, but we don't lose what should be accrued to us in those times. God, we believe that by faith. These things were not just written as nice stories, but your word says they were written for our learning, for our instruction. So when we read them, Father, we take instruction today. We, we draw encouragement from this today. I declare no loss to the house. I declare no lack. I declare no loss at any level but complete and full restoration of all your vast purposes and kind intent to bless the house in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I declare the giving will be like the, the, the giving of the woman with the nod that gave to the body of Jesus in so preparing him for burial. I ask, O oh God, that let our giving prepare the body of Christ, the body of Christ which is alive on the earth today for penetration into the next phase of your purposes concerning us. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus, O oh God. 
Raise us up, Father, to be so focused in this time. I pray no fear, no fear will grip us in times of global crisis. Only faith and understanding. And as we walk boldly through our times of crisis, we know that you will preserve us. And may the greatest expressions of sonship maturity come to the forefather. I bless the house on your behalf. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I bless you, saints. May your Father bless you from the heavens. May He open the windows of heaven and prove His faithfulness to you. I speak in abundance over you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I break financial struggle in your life by the power of my words apostolically now in Jesus' name. I pray as you position your mind, poise your heart to be compliant with God's principles governing financial obedience. I pray that the heavens open over you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I put you into remembrance of Dr. Segi's prophecy regarding the three-month blessing of Obed-Edom. I declare that we are in this season. I, I, I remind you, church, position your heart, position your life. I declare you immunized today against satanic attempts to rob, steal, kill, and destroy your inheritance in the name of the Lord. I declare you blessed. As a servant of the Lord today, I declare you blessed in the city, in the field, down sitting, uprising, going in, coming out, your, your basket, your store, you'll be blessed at every turn. Come on, just high five someone and say, indeed we are a blessed people. Come on, tell someone, indeed we are blessed people. You are blessed, I declare you are blessed. Everyone do this, come on, everyone do this, just watch me. Everyone do this, do this, just say abundance. Let your thinking be abundance. Come on. You've got to think it. As a man thinks so, so easy. That's our inheritance. This is our legacy. Amen. And we're going to walk fully into it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.